Hello and welcome to Let's Talk Autism. I'm your host, Michelle Davey, and this is my co-host. I'm the co-host, Christelle. <laughs> now, Christelle, we had some celebrations going on this week because our podcast has hit 2,000 downloads. Woohoo! OMG! <laughs> so, <laughs> we do need sound effects. When me and Christelle started this, we did start off, Chris, didn't we? We were kind of winging it a bit. We were kind of winging our way through. We didn't know much about the podcasting world. And to be honest, we still don't know much about the podcasting world. But here we are, 2,000 downloads in. We're passionate about it. We're passionate to learn. And more importantly, we're passionate about what we're about to... Well, that's it, ain't it, really? We, raise we, awareness about... Raise awareness uh, about stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so we had, we'd got loads of advice from different people if we'd gone on the first couple of episodes. People saying, oh, you should do this and you should do that and you should do this. But yeah, we're scrapped a lot of the advice given to us as me and Christelle were rebels. So that's how we roll. <laughs> we're not really. Christelle was. I was really good. No, um, no, no. no. <laughs> but yeah, most importantly, it was just me and you, weren't it? Having a chat and getting things off our chest. And you know what? I think, Chris, and I know you agree with me because you have to agree with me about everything. But as we've gone through, we realised that people that came on to speak to us each week, it was about getting their story out there talking just giving people an opportunity to speak about what's going on in theirs and their kids lives and to me that's what's blown me away is that these are just real people talking about real things and raising awareness and yeah you know i just i just feel so privileged yeah i feel so privileged just to hear people's stories and everyone's so unique like krista we're on week 17 what a random group of people have we had random lovely group of people (laughs) random but lovely random by the way not like you know no what i love i love the fact that these people have come on share their stories but in doing that have spread awareness about the different additional educational needs and it's helped our people and i think we've now we now have like a community of people who are here supporting each other on this journey and for me i think that's the best part of it and yeah like you said and um, apart from working with me every week obviously obviously and like you said it's week 17 and I just remember when we first started it, so it's, it's crazy to me when we're saying week 17. And we've got, you know, over 2,000 downloads, so woo! Yeah, you, so everybody. thank you. Thanks for all your support. And if you've got a story you want to share with us, then please do contact us on Instagram at Let's Talk Autism Podcast. And you can find us on Twitter as well and Facebook somewhere but lurking. We don't know somewhere. much about <laughs> We don't know much about our Facebook, so it might not be the best place to find us. But... <laughs> Instagram is a good place. <laughs> yeah. So today we're going to be speaking speaking to Rich. Rich is coming on to speak to us about mitochondrial disease. Mitochondrial disease is a rare disease. You may have started. Chris, do you watch Coronation Street? No, I haven't watched it lately. Um, but, but I used to, but I'm going to. Chris, just for this. remember when we were young, I remember, right? This is no word of a lie. Christelle walked around the playground with a poster on her back saying free Deirdre Barlow. Do you remember when she was falsely imprisoned? <laughs> I don't remember that, Michelle. <laughs> I do not. I think Michelle's making this up, you know. No, it happened. It I, know this, happened. I know this was a long time ago. But See, I think you, I would I can... remember 
No, I can see the flicker of remembrance in your eyes. Oh my gosh. Feel free the weather-filled one. I remember you doing it, clearly. On Coronation Street at the moment, uh, over the past sort of few months, they have been doing a story on mitochondrial disease. Leanne mm. Battersby's son and Steve McDonald's son, uh, with also Nick Tilsley, their son, Oliver has been diagnosed with mitochondrial disease and it's going through how the family are coping with that and, and raising awareness. So I know Rich really wants you to come on and speak to us about mitochondrial disease as it mm. has affected his family. Uh, his and son. it's also the mitochondrial disease week next week, isn't it? Yes, yeah, awareness week next week. So starting mm. from Monday, it's mitochondrial disease awareness week. So I am really pleased that Rich has come on to tell us his story about Josh. And welcoming on to Let's Talk Autism and AEN podcast this week, we have got Rich. Hi, Rich. Hi. Hello. Hi. Firstly, Rich, thank you so much for coming to share your story with us. Uh, I know that this is going to be something very difficult to speak about, but I also know that you're passionate about raising awareness for mitochondrial disease. To do that by talking about your son, Josh. So firstly, can you tell us a little bit about what Josh was like? He was laid back, cheeky chappy, that if Josh didn't want to do something, Josh didn't do it. (laughs) Regardless of however much people tried to persuade him, bribe him, you name it, if he didn't want to do it, he wouldn't do it. (laughs) And he was a master of multitasking. Now, they say men can't multitask, but Josh could watch (laughs) iPad, DVD, TV, (laughs) read a book, you name it, he could do it and know what was happening on every single screen or page of the book. Wow. (laughs) And yeah. You've got two other children as well, haven't you? Yep, yeah, I've got Ellie, who is just turned nine, and then Ava's two in December. So, and Josh was your eldest child. Right, so Josh was diagnosed with mitochondrial disease. So firstly, before we speak about his diagnosis, can you just tell us, Rich, what mitochondrial disease is? So mitochondrial disease is basically a genetic condition that it can happen from birth or anybody can get it at any time in their life. And the mitochondria are effectively the batteries part, the little batteries that supply the cells with energy, make all your organs and stuff work inside your body. So a normal person like me and you, uh, the way I used to describe it was normal people like me and you, we run around on Duracell batteries because we our, our mitochondria are working perfectly fine. Somebody with a mitochondrial disease, like Josh, mitochondria are basically like Tesco value batteries. Right. Um, so they're not last as long. It used to tie quickly. And because of that, it affected all his vital organs, um, yeah. which led to it, it, eventually his liver failing, which could, then caused him to, to pass away. So, Rich, I know that mitochondrial disease affects um, everyone in a unique way. Um, yep. So can you just tell us how it started affecting Josh and when you first noticed anything was the matter? Yeah, and the, so, di- the diagnosis process, I suppose. Yeah, we noticed from birth, really, that he wouldn't feed very well. So they just put it down to not latching. When my, my partner tried breastfeeding, that it weren't latching correctly, etc. And they just put it down to... They, they, at first, they thought it was what they call failure to thrive because he wasn't putting weight on and wasn't eating as much as children of his age should be doing. Um, and it got to the point when he was about four months old when we got referred to the hospital. And we came into contact with a fantastic consultant at our local hospital who happened to be amazing. Um, right from the word go, is fantastic. So four months old, he got admitted. And then they fitted an NG tube, in, through a feeding tube through his nose, straight into his stomach. 
so they could up the volume of milk that he was he needed to get to put weight on, basically. But they still put it down to as classed as failure to thrive because at that point they didn't know he wasn't showing any other really any other signs or symptoms of it. Because it's um, quite hard to diagnose, isn't it? It is, yeah. There are a lot of things that have to happen, tests, etc before people get diagnosis. So Josh has had ECGs, echoes, nerve conduction tests, muscle biopsies, numerous blood tests, you name it, he's, he's, he had it to try and get a diagnosis um, because it's, it's still relatively a, an unknown illness. Yeah. And the first diagnosis wasn't, didn't happen until 1962. Right. So yeah, so there's still a lot that people don't know about it really. And so as Josh put on the feeding tubes and things like that, was there a change did things sort of start getting better health-wise in a way? Yeah, of sorts. He, he started putting weight on. Obviously, compared to his peers, he was always behind with developmental goals and things like sitting and so on and so forth because he'd got suffered with low muscle tone as well, which, which was linked to the mitochondrial disease. At the t- well, obviously, we didn't know that at the time, but it was all linked and interlinked and part and parcel of the mitochondrial disease that he had. So he was quite floppy. So when they did sort of do tests with a lift your arm up, and people with good muscle tone, you can sort of hold your arm in a position where Joshua just used to flop back down on the on the bed like it was relaxed. Yeah. So when he eventually started putting, I think I don't think he was able to sit up until he was about two years of age or just mm-hmm. a bit under that because of, he didn't have the muscle capacity to do so. So what were the hospitals saying at this time? You still hadn't got your diagnosis at this point. No, we, we still hadn't got a diagnosis. We right. didn't get a, we didn't get the diagnosis until my partner became pregnant again with Ellie. We got pregnant and I think Josh was coming up to being three. And we sort of said to Josh's consultant, look, my partner's pregnant again, just to let you know. And that's when they then rushed, sort of forced through the the last muscle biopsy that he had up in Newcastle, where the spe- one of the specialist mitochondrial hospitals are in the country, they studied the muscle biopsy and then that's when we eventually got a diagnosis. And when you got this diagnosis, um, what did they say to you? How were they going to deal with it? In all honesty, they didn't really know because right. Josh was the one of the first patients that a lot of the consultants that he was under had yeah. ever, ever had with this particular condition. We got sent to the neurological Neuro- team. That's it. Yeah, yeah, them. yeah. yeah. Uh, to them, because they thought it was neurological to start off with. Mm. And it's only with liaising with other hospitals, Newcastle, Birmingham, and at one point, Great Ormond Street. So yeah, eventually we, had, we did have a trip down to Great Ormond Street to see a professor from, from down there. And then that's when we got a diagnosis. But yeah, because it was relatively unknown, a lot of them, the medical team didn't really know what to expect. I'm guessing this was like a whirlwind for you and your family, because if they didn't know much about it, I'm guessing you'd never heard of it before. No, nothing. No, no. never even heard of it, no. Right. Um, and when the diagnosis came, Josh wasn't the typical case. Right. So compared to a lot of children with the particular defect that Josh had got, he shouldn't have lived past two, three months old. When, the, when they gave the diagnosis, they initially said that he wouldn't live past his fifth birthday. Um, <sighs> and that's what they said to you when which they gave you diagnosis? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. They, they said pretty much don't expect him to be, live past his fifth birthday. And then he lived on till his 10th birthday. So wow. despite everything he went through, we did it with a smile on his face. Is that something you had to explain to him, no. to Josh, that he's got a condition, you know, or anything like that? You did just sort of carry on as normal in regards? Yeah, that's all he'd known. He'd always known that he was different. He'd always known he wouldn't, because he couldn't eat, eat or drink because yeah. of his low muscle tone. So he's never, had, he's never ate or ever drank anything. Well, I say never... The early weaning stages, he did. Um, and then he got bronchiolitis. And then after mm. that, he wouldn't touch anything. Right. Um, but they, they put it down because his muscle tone was so poor that he wouldn't be able to have the ability to digest food. 
Right, okay. So yeah, it, it was all he'd ever known. Yeah. And I read that one of the symptoms, Rich, is it, it was classed as a symptom, is autism and uh, global development delay and are symptoms of mitochondrial disease. Is yeah, that something they did was, say, you, I know me and you have had our chats before and you did say that yeah, yeah. they sort of, yeah, go on, I'll let you explain. <laughs> they, they, yeah, they did wonder at one point if he did have autistic traits yeah. because of some of the, the things he was displaying, the routines, um, he didn't like change and things like that. They did wonder if he did have some form of autistic trait, yes, but nothing was ever officially confirmed or, or diagnosed on that. And with the school, Josh... Went to mainstream school? Yeah, yeah, it went to mainstream nursery, uh, mainstream infant school, and then through to juniors. Yeah. I mean, I've seen photos that you've shared and things like that. And how would a school with his diagnosis and with your journey? I couldn't fault him. Right from when he first went to the childminders, right from the childminders, right through to junior school, everybody that we've been in contact with have been absolutely fantastic with him. Couldn't ask for better staff. The one to ones he's had, the teaching assistants and stuff that he's had all the way through school. They've all been fantastic with it. Um, yeah. yeah, can't thank him enough because they've shaped part of how he became himself. And he got them all wrapped around his little finger, which <laughs> they'd openly admit that. Yeah. yeah Button but wouldn't melt. Blue-eyed boy. He got away with everything. He got away with murder he, he did when he was at school and nursing. Which, <laughs> uh, what did they do in terms of treatment? You know, like, was there things that you had to do daily in terms of treatment for Josh to make him more comfortable? Like, was he in pain? No. So treatment-wise, there is no there is no treatment for it because it's a genetic condition. So it's an untreatable terminal illness, basically. There's nothing they can do for it at this at this moment in time. But obviously there's research, et cetera, that's happening that is heading that way. The main things we did were feed him, basically. Yeah. So it started off with the NG tube through his nose, then it progressed to a feeding tube in his stomach, and then at the latter part, because his stomach then began to not tolerate the feeds, the final stage was a feeding tube into intravenous in his, through his chest. It's really like a waiting game, isn't it? Yeah, it is, yeah. Um, yeah, just to take, did... you have to take each day as it comes, sort of thing. Right, yeah. I was going to say, how do you cope with that? Just yeah. not knowing. You, didn't say, you really yeah. didn't know when he was going to go. No, no. Right up until February last year, when he started to show signs that it was... Coming unwell, tummy swelled up basically. That's how we sort of think. So his tummy swelled. I took him into the hospital to see our local consul- consultant because we got open access at the hospital. We'd just sort of drop an email or ring her and say, "Is not something's not quite right," and she'd sort of whip him in and have a look at him. And then one particular night in February, February eighteenth, it was last year, I took him into A and E because his feeding tube and his chest stopped working. It blocked up. Then that he never came home after that, other than the short odd visit here and there. That was the last time he was home really, properly and well. So how long was he in hospital for? He went in on the February and then he died in the May. So four months, three months. Yeah, okay. Yeah, um, obviously we're really sorry that, you know, um, Josh is not here anymore, yeah. but you're passionate about raising awareness for mitochondrial disease. Um, how yeah. do you raise awareness for people to know more? And how can people help? The main sort of form of charity that is available for people with mitochondrial disease is the Lily Foundation. Lily was a child with mitochondrial disease, and I think her parent—I think it was her parents—that set up the charity when she sadly passed away. Mm-hmm. So they're sort of the, the main leading charity to do with people with mitochondrial disease. In regards to parenting communities is there any sort of community out there that you could you know assist you with this or just be a comfort to you it's like is there any other sort of mitochondrial 
parents sort of groups out there? If I'm being honest, I, ha- I honestly couldn't tell you because it's not something at the time that we ever really looked into. We were offered support and things like that by the hospital, um, but it meant travelling all the way up to Newcastle to see the, the mitochondrial teams up there. And at the time, it was everything, the, the bombarding you with all this information. And uh, at the time, we just sort of said, Newcastle's a long way off. We didn't know how long we were going to be up there for. There were no real details. So we just sort of went, sort of went it alone, if that makes sense. Yeah. And, and something I was going to ask you, Rich, is your other children, like the two girls, how did this affect them and, and how, was, how was their lives around this sort of time? Yeah, so obviously Ellie definitely grew up quicker because of her brother was how he was. Um, we were only having a conversation actually the other day about when, uh, when she was little and people used to comment on how well-behaved she was walking along when Amy was pushing the wheelchair or the, in the buggy. And she was always well-behaved. She'd never run off and things like that. And we just sort of said, it's because she learned that she had to stay with one of us. She wasn't allowed to run off. And um, she, did, she did miss out on a lot, like trips out and things like that, because we were limited as to where we could take Josh. And a lot of the time, he didn't want to go. He was, he was a home bird. He was quite happy, sat at home where there was Wi-Fi and a TV. Uh, and he didn't want to go gallivanting about places and doing things. We always said if we went on holiday anywhere, He'd be just quite happy sat in a caravan, so long as there was internet and a TV, he'd be happy. He'd sit there all week, and he'd, yeah, he'd be happy as Larry. A teenager. <laughs> yeah, basically, yeah. And obviously Ava, she was too young really to to know any, really anything about him. Um, she will, she when she sees pictures of him, she will point to him, and obviously we know that she's saying Josh, obviously, but she's still young to, yeah, she doesn't really know anything about him as such. And how will you, you know, going on from now? What's what's your sort of plan to keep raising awareness? I know you're you're keen with your running. I've talked you into doing the Cambridge Half Marathon. I think. Have you? Yeah. Used to me. <laughs> it was mentioned, but nothing set in concrete now. Yeah, she keeps making things up today. This is what I do. I tell people yeah. that they're doing something, and yeah, I used to get my wife when I was younger. <laughs> I, know, I know my memory's shocking, but I definitely remember signing up for a half marathon. <laughs> <laughs> now the plan is. Net, hopefully next year because um, obviously I'm doing the running the next step would be 10k and I'm hopefully if I do do that I'll be raising money for possibly the Lily Foundation um, to help them generate some funds for, for research into mitochondrial disease I get the vibe from your Instagram from your running that actually when you're doing your running Rich it's it's more like you feel you're doing it sort of with Josh. Josh is with you kind of thing. And you say you'd be laughing at you. Oh, it's definitely therapy. Yeah, definitely. And quite a few times I know there's people have said that if you see a Robin, it's a sign that a, a, a loved one's nearby. And pretty much every run that I've, we went through a stage where nearly every time I went out running, I saw a Robin. Um, but yeah, he'd definitely be sat there laughing at me. <laughs> oh, I can hear him now. Oh, daddy, what are you doing? Rich, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story with us. And you've just been thank you. Josh sounds like he was an amazing young boy. Oh yeah, he was a character, definitely. Yeah, Yeah. once you met him, you'd never forget him. Thanks so much, Rich, coming on sharing your story. No, thank you so much for having me. Oh, Chris, that was emotional, wasn't it? It was emotional. Um, you know, it's one that really 
tugs at your heart because as parents, you know, it's that's one of the worst thoughts of losing your child. Yeah, it's um, like they're thinking about. Yeah, but he's such a lovely man. And, he, you know, he gave us a great description of Josh. You could just sense that he was a very special boy. Yeah, and, and also so very much with them still, you know. Yeah, I think he's doing a great job to raise awareness for mitochondrial disease. It is yeah. Mitochondrial Disease Awareness Week this week, starting from Monday. So I'm really hoping that some awareness comes from this. Yeah, because everybody's story is, needs to be told, you know. And I'm yeah. really glad that Rich came on and speak to us. I know that he was really nervous about speaking about Josh and speaking about mitochondrial disease and I think he's done amazing really did so how has life been Christelle kids back to school <laughs> yeah it's back to school uh, it's been a hectic week but it's been a good week as well it's just I feel like when I went to the kids school none of the even though we've all been together for a long time now yeah we've been together yeah. at home for about six months but obviously you miss them and they miss you but they were just ready yes they were ready to go there was yeah. no tears there was no tantrums I, I was the one saying bye 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 and they were just not even saying bye back I was like oh okay I'm just gonna go grab a coffee <laughs> or something thanks I know. not a look back was there no how about you how was it on your end yeah, no, it was good. It was good. Boss Baby, my youngest, he started preschool. Mm. Um, he had done a little bit just before lockdown, but yeah, that was uh, that was weird because he'd done his first full day. So it was like my first full day on my own. You're like a brand new woman, aren't you? <laughs> oh, you know what, Chris? Like I had all these plans, these life plans. Like, yes, on that Wednesday when I had a day off, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to be doing this. I'm going to achieve that. I come in, I just started crying. I was like, oh, Oh, seriously. (laughs) Do you know what, right? When I was a teacher and I saw parents crying at the school gate, I'm going to sound like a right cow. But I used to think, oh, get a grip. This is before I was a parent, right? Oh, get a grip. Do you know what I mean? Parents, parents crying through the nativity. Get a grip. Do you know what I mean? As if it's that, that emotion. And there's me like, oh my God, every time, just like (laughs) wobbling. I'm not I'm not really a crier to be honest with you obviously I think you feel a little bit emotional but I get over that pretty quickly you know I'll be like let me go and grab coffee (laughs) let me go and do this I can go to the gym now got time to go to the gym now got no excuses for not to exercise so um yeah it's freeing me up with a lot of um time obviously with work we're all going back very slowly because of this whole covid malarkey next week exciting okay so we're talking to send warrior Lucy, I was going to say send warrior mama. That was last. I was going to say I was going to say she's on again. <laughs> so, so Rich was in a send warrior sandwich. So next week is send warrior Lucy, and she's going to be speaking to us about dyspraxia. Do you know much about dyspraxia? Nothing, but I'll know a little bit next week. <laughs> you will, you will. I actually taught a child with dyspraxia, so I'm really, really super interested to um to tell you as a teacher once um to talk about that next week. Okay. Right then, Chris, that's it. That's the end, that's of, end of the show. My microphone has been temperamental. I'm very cross about this. I think my kids have been using it as some sort of, I don't know, part of their big band that they're forming. So, uh... <laughs> uh, well, Mish, yeah. you have a good night. 
<laughs> she's so pleasant. She's doing this big, <laughs> smiley, pleasant face at me that we all know is lies. We all know lies. Like Christelle, lies. See you lies. next week, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> See ya.